This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we'll hear an episode of The Whistler, followed by The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. And since both shows are rather short, I've time to explore a few theories on why radio audiences were so taken in by these two programs. Well, first of all, let's deal with The Whistler, a scary voice that pops up out of nowhere. Why do some people like the feeling of being scared anyway, while others don't? Not everyone enjoys being afraid, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that no one wants to experience a truly life-threatening situation, but there are those of us, well, a lot of us really, who enjoy the experience. There is strong evidence that this isn't just about personal choice, but our brain chemistry. New research from David Zold shows that people differ in their chemical response to thrilling situations. One of the main hormones released during scary and thrilling activities is dopamine. And it turns out some individuals may get more of a kick from this dopamine response than others do. Basically, some people's brains lack what Zold describes as breaks on the dopamine release and reuptake of the brain. This means some people are going to really enjoy thrilling, scary, and risky situations, while others, eh, not so much. Lots of people also enjoy scary situations because it leaves them with a sense of confidence after it's over. Now think about the last time you made it through a scary movie or through a haunted house. You might have thought, yeah, I did it. I made it all the way through. So it can be a real self-esteem boost. But again, self-scaring isn't for everyone. And there are lots of psychological and personal reasons someone may not enjoy scary situations. What happens in our brains when we're scared? Well, it is, uh, is it different when we're scared in a fun way versus being actually afraid? To really enjoy a scary situation, you have to know that we're in a safe environment. It's all about triggering the amazing fight-or-flight response to experience the flood of adrenaline, endorphins, and dopamine, but in a completely safe space. Haunted houses are great at this, and so too are programs like The Whistler. Humans are obsessed with death. We simply have a hard time wrapping our mind about what happens when we die. This contemplation has led to some of the most famous monsters, with each culture creating their own version of the living dead, whether it's zombies, vampires, reanimated and reconstructed corpses or ghosts. We want to imagine a life that goes on after we die, or better yet, figure out a way to live forever. Humans have been scaring themselves and each other since the birth of the species. Uh, through all kinds of methods like storytelling, jumping off clips, and popping out to startle each other from recesses of some dark cave. And we've done this for lots of reasons. To build group unity, to prepare kids for life in the scary world, and of course, to control behavior and profit. And that's become a highly sought-after experience. 
An example of one of the early discoveries of the joys of self-scaring is actually found in the history of roller coasters. The Russian ice slides began, not surprisingly, giving the name, an extended sleigh ride down a snowy mountain in the mid-17th century. Much like they do today, riders would sit in sleds and speed down the mountain, which sometimes included additional man-made bumps to make it a little bit more exciting. (laughs) The Russian ice slides became more sophisticated through the 18th century with wooden beams and artificial mountains of ice. Eventually, instead of ice and sleds, tracks and carriages were constructed to carry screaming riders across the Russian mountains. Even more exhilarating terror came when innovative creators decided to paint scary scenes on the walls that shocked and thrilled riders as they passed by. These came to be known as dark rides. People were terrified, but... They loved it. Well, let's see if we can get the whistler to have the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Here's the episode entitled Body Off Billingsgate. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. And Signal Gasoline is tops, too. Tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal Circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly dealer-owned Signal stations from Canada to Mexico. And now, the Whistler's strange story. The Body Off Billingsgate. It was a grim scene there on the dock at Billingsgate, with the early morning fog swirling eerily around the three figures bending over the shapeless mass on the planking. The Scotland Yard inspector, the sergeant with his notebook, and Peterson, the nervous little fisherman, stammering answers to the inspector's methodical questions. Oh, Van Dodge say the man's been dead about 12 hours. You got that, sergeant? Yes, sir. Now, Mr. Peterson, you say you'd moored your boat out there on the river? That's right, Inspector. About two hours ago it was. Then as I was coming in, in the small boat here, I spotted the body in the water. I see. Nearly right ran into it, I did. Uh, Any idea who he is, Inspector? Looks like an American. Blow on the head, Sergeant. Blunt instrument. Put that down. Yes. Now, let's have a look in his pockets. Blow on the head. How do you suppose a poor bloke come to this? Gangster affair, probably. Most of the gangsters seem to end up this way. Hello. What is it, Inspector? A check for 5,000 pounds from the Barclays Bank. 
Signed by uh, Wilfred Greenwood. Hmm. Stay here and look after things, will you, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Medical examiner will be up shortly. I'm going over to have a talk with the manager of that bank. Yes, sir. Blimey. What a way to die. How do you suppose... You heard what the inspector said, man. Blunt instrument. Yes, it was obvious that the man had died as a result of a blow from a blunt instrument. But there was something more important than that. Something the inspector was to find out later at Barclays Bank. Something which indicated that the most important cause of the man's death was a normally harmless instrument, just an ordinary fountain pen. It had been more than a month before in a fog like this one that Victor Milton groped cautiously toward the glowing yellow rectangle of an outdoor telephone booth in the murky darkness, listening. Yes, operator. I want to put through a trunk call to London, please. That's right. Hurry it along, will you? No hurry, John. Victor! Cancel the call. Hang up. What the deuce? Vic, I didn't know you were in Leeds. I thought you... Thought I was in London, I know. Who are you calling? Oh, uh, just a, a friend, Vic. Don't hand me that. You're the boy who's been tipping off the opposition, aren't you, Greenwood? You're wrong, Vic. I have nothing to do with Two it. Two weeks since you joined the organization. Two weeks since the other mob's been knocking off our trucks. Funny coincidence, isn't it? No, no, no. no. Wait a minute, Vic. I can explain. You can begin by telling me who you were calling in London. I told you. Just a friend. Quit stalling. I got a train to catch. Who was it, John? You better talk or I'll... No, you won't. Drop it. Drop that gun. Tell me who you were calling. No. I won't tell you, Vic. I'll kill you. Give me that. Get back now. There. There. That's better. Vic, don't do it. And that's how it began, Victor. With a young man named John Greenwood dead at your feet at a public telephone booth in Leeds. You bend down quickly, take his wallet and gun, and hurry off into the night. It's three blocks to the railroad station, and the train's due in five minutes. You stop for a moment on a bridge over a canal near the station, drop in the gun and wallet, and then hurry up onto the station platform. Happy! Happy in here! This way, Happy! Okay! Got it! Oh. Ooh. Ooh, thanks! Thanks a million. Oh, you're not Tuppy. Uh, Tuppy? I must sound awfully silly. It's a family nickname for my brother. I thought you were Tuppy, you see. He was never on time for a train in his life. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Oh, it's not that at all. It's uh, well, uh, if you'd be good enough to sit down, I shouldn't wonder if I could start reading my paper. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. I didn't realize we were in your yeah, life. Sure. Sure, go ahead. We'll sit down over here. Uh, thank you. Uh. <laughs> Well, who's the old boy? <laughs> Colonel Blimp? Shh. You hear you. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? You never know who you'll run into in a fog. Colonel Blimp or... Or what? An angel from the first cloud on the left. You Americans always come straight to the point, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> How did you know I was an American? <laughs> the way you talk. Oh, now, wait a minute. I've only been here for two weeks, but I've been working hard. I say bowler instead of derby, <laughs> petrol instead of gas. You're as bad as Tuppy. He wants to sound like an American and can't pull it off either. 
I do wish he'd got here. You're not worried, are you? No, but he promised to ride to London with me to see Father. It's my first trip to town in almost a year, you see. I've been at school in Leeds and... Oh, oh dear, I must sound like an awful chatterbox. Oh, not at all. What's your brother doing in Leeds? He's just taken on a new job. Commercial traveler, paint, hardware, that sort of thing. He's young, of course, and a little irresponsible. But he'll settle down. No danger of puppies turning into a spiv. A spiv? Yes, you see, a spiv is a... a, Well, it is... It's a new word in our vocabulary, sir. An unfortunate addition, I might add. Oh, how do you mean, Colonel? Oh, Captain. Sorry. It's quite all right. A spiv, sir, does no work, pays no taxes, produces nothing of value, yet flourishes like the green bay tree. Black markets, hijacking, and so on. Shameful thing, shameful. Well, now you know what a spiv is. <laughs> it serves me right. <laughs> when did we get to London? Around midnight. Oh, wonderful. I'll see you home. Oh, I, I couldn't. Oh, really. not another word now. After all, I have to do something useful now and then. <laughs> what do you think I am? A, a spiv? <laughs> <laughs> You really shouldn't have gone to all this trouble. My dear young lady, it's after midnight. The fog's as bad here as it was in Leeds. Uh, that'll be ten bob. Okay, here you are, driver. Careful in the fog now. It's a bad I sir, I'm certainly grateful to you. It's the first time I've been here, you see. Father just moved in last week. Oh, I see. Well, think your father's still up? I'll be insulted if he isn't. He knows I'm coming. Hillary! Father! Oh, it's so good to have you home, my dear. And Tuffy. Oh, uh, I'm afraid I... Tuffy missed the train, Father. I thought I'd better see your daughter home, sir. It's a little late for her to be out alone. Well, uh, uh, thank you, young man. Uh, Come in, come in, won't you? Thank you. Now, uh, Hillary, don't you think you'd better... Oh, the telephone. Uh, Make yourself at home, will you? Hillary, I'm sure the young man can do the spot of brandy. Well, now, see here, it's pretty late. Perhaps I'd better be going. Nonsense, you heard what Father said. Ah, drunk call from Leeds. That must be Tuffy with some excuse or other. Don't be too harsh with him, Father. Do you prefer brandy or whiskey, mister? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Good heavens, you know, I don't even know your name. (laughs) We've come all this way and we haven't even been introduced. (laughs) I'm sorry. My name's Milton, Victor Milton. Well, how do you do, Mr. Milton? I'm Hillary. How do you do? Yes, I'm listening, officer. What is it, Father? What's the matter? I see. Identification from the coat? Yes. Yes. Yes, I'll catch the first train north. Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Father, what's happened? Is it... Tuffy? That was the police up in Leeds. He's not in another scrape. Not anymore. He's dead, Hillary. What? His body was found in the fog by a telephone booth. Been robbed. I, I can't believe it. <sighs> I'm awfully sorry. I guess you two want to be alone. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you for seeing Hillary home, Mr. Milton. If there's anything I can do... Awfully kind of you, Mr. Milton. Our name is Greenwood. Greenwood? Uh, Wilfred Greenwood. My son was, was John. John Greenwood. He always called him Tuffy. Rob, but why would anyone rob him? He never had anything. He never... I, uh, I think it was something else, Hillary. And I'm going to find out who killed him if it's the last thing I do. With the prologue of The Body Off Billingsgate, 
The Signal Oil Company is bringing you another strange story by The Whistler. The terrible shock, isn't it, Victor? The knowledge that the man you killed in Leeds was the brother of the girl you met riding up to London. John Greenwood, Hillary's brother. And it's hard for you to believe that her brother could be like that. That he could be the son of an obviously influential and respectable citizen like Wilfred Greenwood. But that's the way it is, Victor. A thing that might happen once in a million times has happened to you. It unnerves you, doesn't it? but not enough to destroy your role as innocent stranger. They haven't the slightest reason to suspect, Victor, and you decide that their friendship might be valuable. You send flowers and condolences to John Greenwood's funeral, then wait a few days before telephoning Hillary. Oh, hello, Mr. Milton. Thank you so much for the flowers. Oh, I'm sorry I couldn't do more to help. But I realize that at such a time... You've been most thoughtful. Father appreciates it, too. I, uh, I read about some flowers, uh, this morning in the Times. Oh? Yes, the carnations are blooming in Hyde Park. Say, I'll bet you haven't been out in the fresh air for a week. Well, as a matter of fact... You haven't. That's right. Only... You know, I think a stroll through the park or perhaps some boating would be just the thing for you. Well, I... I think so, too, Mr. Milton. I'd like very much to go. It is restful out here, Mr. Milton. I do feel relaxed now. That was the general idea. <laughs> but it's your expense. Aren't you tired of rowing? Oh, not at all. And I can use the exercise. I don't believe it. Though if you're anything like father, you... Too involved in business? You're all the same. Oh, no. No, I don't overdo it. Father does. Lately, anyway. To tell the truth, Mr. Milton, I'm worried about him. Oh? He's taken Tuppy's... John's death so hard. I really didn't expect him to be this way. John always got into scrapes, and Father's been so very proper. There were times when they had real differences. Father's so hurt by it that... Haven't... Haven't the police any idea who shot your brother? No. But Father won't give up. I wish I could help some way. You've done a lot already, Mr. Milton. Make it Victor, will you? All right, then. Victor... <laughs> That's better. Much better. Yes, Victor, it's going well. And as you continue to see Hillary during the days that follow, you begin to feel more secure. Knowing the friendship of influential people like the Greenwoods makes everything solid. The suite at the Carlton, the office in Oxford Street, your pose as the enterprising young American businessman. Yes, Hillary will solve some problems, but not all of them. What's wrong, Ernie? What's holding us up? Money. They got two of our trucks again last night on the Great North Road. Suiting materials, tweeds, worsteds, 
close to 4,000 pounds. Oh, I'd like to know who's tipping them off. Oh, could be anyone. They've got a man on every corner. There's no getting away from them. We need money, huh? Yeah. Quick. All right, Ernie. All right, I'll get it. Who do you know over here? Well, you just... I said I'd get it. Never mind how. All I need is a little time. You like it here, Hillary? It's heaven. Well, that's because you're here in my arms. It, it's sweet of you to say that. What are we waiting for, Hillary? I, I don't know, Vic. It's the first cloud on the left, and we're sitting right on it. Together. I never want to let you get away. Would you... Would you think it's strange if I proposed right here on the dance floor? Well, Vic, you shouldn't. What will father... He won't object. And what if he does? I... I don't know. Oh, we've wasted too much time already, Hillary. Let, let's do it. Let's elope. When? Right now. Oh, darling, we can't. Oh, yes, we can. I've already got the special license. Well, oh, I... Hillary, Hillary, please, please. We can talk about it on the way. On the way? Yes, darling. After all, you can't expect me to be married without my hat and coat. Well, well, go ahead, Mrs. Milton. Ring the bell. I, I feel so nervous now that we're back, Vic. I, I don't know how to face Father. <laughs> Why so jittery? He's all prepared. You wired him, dear. I know, but... <laughs> here, here. I'll ring. Come on, chin up, darling. I don't know why I'm acting like this. Hello, Father. Well, Hillary, you did get back. And you, Victor, married to my daughter. That's right, sir. Well... What are we standing here for? Come in, you two. I've had the champagne on ice ever since I got your wire. Father, you darling. <laughs> I must say, Victor, you Americans don't let any grass go under your feet. Well, sir, with a cur like Hillary. Oh, it's all right, my boy. I'm pleased. You must know that by now. Uh, the quality of the champagne certainly says something, Mr. Greenwood. <laughs> Good. Ah, but it doesn't say nearly enough. Now, come over here, both of you, to my desk. Now, uh, now where's my checkbook? Oh, now, Father, we really didn't expect... Oh, never to... mind now, dear. I haven't any family heirlooms to pass along, but my <laughs> bank account can certainly stand a substantial present to both of you. You only embarrass Vic. Oh, where are my glasses, Hillary? Mr. Greenwood. Hillary's right. We oh, uh... here, here, here. I can't see without them. Vic, you make out the check. But, sir, oh, I... Go on, go on now. You may as well do it, darling. He always gets his way. Well, all right. Uh, uh, what's the date? Darling, our wedding day. How can you forget? It's October 11th. Oh, sure. Oh, I'm all mixed up today, darling. October 11th, 1947. Oh, now, let me see. Um, October... It's the tenth month, isn't it? That's right. Mm-hmm. Ten, eleven, forty-seven. Uh, who shall I make it out to, Mr. Greenwood? Call me Dad, won't you? And uh, make it terrible to yourself, of course. You'll be the man of the house, I hope. Found my glasses yet, Hillary? I don't see them anywhere. Pay to the order of Victor... 
Milton, 5,000 pounds. Five thousand pounds. You sound like you don't believe me, Ernie. I'll feel better when I see it. Skip it. You better keep your eyes on the road. If they hijack us again tonight, we're through. How much farther to Leeds? Ten miles. The boys are meeting us at the warehouse and... The... <clears throat> Crikey! What's the matter? Look up ahead. It's a roadblock. Gun it up. I can't. Give it a guess, I said. The load's too heavy. We'll tip over. Who is it? Do you know them? It's them again. The same ones. I know that lorry of theirs. Let the truck go then. Let it go. Jump and run for it. No, Vic. We ain't got a chance, Vic! What's the idea? Where are we? Keep moving, mate. Uh, what did you do to Ernie? Keep moving. Nice bunch of guys. Pulling me off my own truck. Slapping a blindfold on me, driving me for miles. Maybe your wish it was further. All right. Hold it here, mate. Come in. Where did you find him? He jumped off the truck when we held it up. All right, mate. You can take off that blindfold. Here, I'll do it. <sighs> Fine thing. Shoving a guy around like... What the... Vic! Mr. Greenwood... For a moment, you can't believe it, can you, Victor? That you're standing face to face with your new father-in-law, Wilfred Greenwood. It, it can't be that there must be some mistake. There's He's up no mistake. He was on the truck. He said it was his. I see. All right, go back to the truck. But it, it... I'll take care of him. Give us an hour alone. Right. Oh. So, pop. You're in this racket, too, huh? You're the guy that's been hijacking my trucks. It was you, Vic. You killed John. I don't know what you're talking about. I've had men working on my son's murder ever since he was killed, and I told them to bring me the man who did it, no matter who he was. They brought you, Victor, and they don't make mistakes. <laughs> Simple as that, huh? Of course, Mr. Greenwood, now that I'm your son-in-law, Hillary is better off rid of you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, you can't shoot me without... You didn't wait for it when it was John. No, Vic, I... You're doing nothing. Oh, let me go! Give me that gun. Give it to me. Uh, that's better, Mr. Greenwood. <laughs> what are you going to do? I haven't much choice. Oh, you won't get away with it, Vic. My men will be back here in an hour. I could get lost in England in less than an hour. You'll never stop running. I'll be alive, Greenwood, and with enough money to run a long ways, thanks to you. What? Your check for 5,000 pounds. Vic... You did kill him, my son, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I killed him. Thought you were smart planting him in my gang as a stool pigeon. Yes, I killed him. And I'll even show you how. No. No! Fish! Yes, sir. Uh, good morning, good morning. I'd like to cash this check, please. Very well, sir. Oh, Mr. Greenwood's check. Pay to the order of Victor Milton, 5,000 pounds. Yes, I'm uh, his son-in-law. Of course. All right, Mr. Milton, if you'll wait just a moment, I'm sure we can honor it for you. 
the man discovered by the fisherman at Billingsgate, died from a blow by a blunt instrument, according to the records at Scotland Yard. But in a strange way, the real cause of his death was the stroke of a fountain pen on a scrap of paper. If another man had held a pen, the victim might never have died. But the fatal pen marks could never be erased or changed. They were still there on that check for 5,000 pounds, found in the dead man's pocket, signed by Wilfred Greenwood. Even 12 hours in the cold water of the Thames River hadn't blurred a line. The Scotland Yard inspector waited quietly as the cashier at Barclays Bank examined the check carefully. I say the check is wet, Inspector. It's... Yes. The man is made out to this Victor Milton was found dead at Billingsgate Dock a few hours ago. Oh, I see. A suicide, Inspector? Hardly. Gangster affair, I'd say. Revenge for something the bloke had done. You've uh, seen that check before? Oh, yes. Only yesterday, Mr. Milton was in trying to cash it, Inspector. We had to refuse him, of course. Oh, why is that? I felt quite badly. He acted so strangely. Almost desperate. I dare say he was. It seems he'd written the check himself for Mr. Greenwood to sign, but he post-dated it. I explained that the check couldn't clear for another month. He post-dated it? Yes, it was dated 10-11-47. You see, he was obviously an American, and they write a date differently than we do. They put the month first and the day next. While here in England, of course, we put the day first and the month second. Then this check he wrote is just reversed. He meant to indicate October the 11th, but actually in writing 10-11, he made it November 10th. Sod, just a difference in custom. That's right. But I had to tell him we couldn't honor the check until a month from now. Strange fellow, you know. He seemed so anxious to have the money. But when I suggested he have Mr. Greenwood write him another check, he didn't say a word. Just looked at me and walked out. Whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Wednesday night at this same time, brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you, to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Wally Mayer and Alma Lawton. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with story by Leslie Edgley, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Next Wednesday, for a full hour of mystery over most of these stations, tune in a half hour earlier. Enjoy The Saint as well as The Whistler. This is Marvin Miller speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Ozzie and Harriet. The TV show starred the entire family as America watched Ozzie and Harriet raise their boys, Rick and David. And now, Nelson was a producer and director of most of the episodes, and he co-wrote many of them as well. Nelson's brother, Don Nelson, also one of the writers. 
Ozzy Nelson was very hands-on and involved with every aspect of both radio and TV programs. And it's rather notable that throughout the 50s, Ozzy's prior band-leading career and Harriet's singing, acting, and dancing careers were seldom mentioned. The younger audience would have had no idea that Ozzy and Harriet had previously been involved with music. And now to tonight's show featuring Ozzy and Harriet. Finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzy Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Excitement in the air. A mysterious change has taken place in the vicinity of 1847 Rogers Road. Remember the friendly old elm tree in front of the house? Well, it doesn't look friendly anymore. The full moon shining through it, and on one of the bare branches, there's a big black owl. And the old dependable weather vane on top of the garage. Gee, it looks different now. I'm not sure if it's a weather vane or not, the way the shadows fall would be a witch on a broomstick. Oh, it's spooky out tonight. In the Nelson kitchen, there's an atmosphere of feverish activity and excited preparations. What are you looking for, David? We're trying to find some paper bags. Big ones. Well, look in the bottom drawer there. There, that's a good one, Ricky. Yeah, but what do I do with the potatoes? No, not that drawer, Ricky. On the other side. Hey, what's going on out here? We're getting some paper bags. Sound like you were taking the kitchen apart. Halloween, boy. We're going to have fun tonight, Pop. Yeah, it looks plenty spooky out to me. What do you have there, dear? Oh, I was just rummaging around upstairs a bit, and I thought the boys might make a costume out of these old work pants. Gee, Pop, they're pretty dirty. Not only that, dear, they're covered with paint. Well, what do you expect, Harriet? I wore them when I painted the breakfast nook. I think you did a better job on the pants than you did on the breakfast nook. <laughs> How about you, Ricky? Would you like to be a painter? Will you get your white cap and stick a couple of brushes in your belt? Golly, Pop, those pants are pretty big. Oh, I don't know. Let's see how they look on you. Here, step into them. Put your foot in there. Yeah. Now the other foot. Yeah, now pull them up. Mm. Oh, that's a wonderful costume. The headless painter. <laughs> Anyhow, Pop, we don't need costumes. We got masks. That's enough. Well, you suit yourself. We used to wear costumes when I was a kid. That's just for little kids, Pop. Me and David are going trick or treat. Trick or treat? Sure. We ring a guy's doorbell and say trick or treat. If he doesn't give us cookies or something, we let him have it. <laughs> there you are, dear. That's Halloween, 1948. Sounds more like Chicago, 1925. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, Pop. Didn't you used to do that when you were a kid? No, David, as I recall, we used to go in more for the real spirit of Halloween. You know, the spooky, scary stuff. What do you mean, Pa? 
Well, I, I mean, we'd find some old haunted house and go prowling around looking for ghosts and stuff. You sure were brave, Pop. Oh, not necessarily, David. Pop, did you ever see a ghost? Oh, I won't say I saw a ghost, but I will say I saw something. A spook? I don't know. It was white and shimmering, indistinct, and wavered back and forth. Sometimes it was there, sometimes it wasn't there. White and shimmering. Did they have television sets in, Pop? <laughs> no, Ricky, this was right out in the center of the living room. I'm afraid Halloween's different nowadays. All the wonderful, spooky, hobgoblin atmosphere. That's all changed now. Can't help feeling a little sad when you see the joys of your childhood disappearing in a changing world. Halloween just isn't exciting anymore. Are you going to cry, Pop? <laughs> no, it's just the memories coming back. You sure must have had fun, Pop. Do you think there's really such a thing as a ghost? A real ghost, I mean? Well, I don't know. In a spooky old house with the moon shining through the broken shutters, you imagine you see some pretty strange things. I'd sure like to see a ghost. Boy, would I run. Well, there's the old McAdams house up on the hill. That's a pretty spooky-looking place. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there were a ghost or two lurking around in there. Do you think we could see one if we went up there, Pop? It's very possible. Oh, Ozzy. David, your father's just kidding. Oh, let the boys have a little fun, Harriet. After all, it's Halloween. Come on, grab the bags, Ricky. We gotta get going. Hey, wait for me. Don't you think a lot of the spirit of Halloween has been lost? Oh, I don't know, dear. The kids seem to have a good time. That's the important thing. Oh, they pretend to enjoy it. But where's the fun? Trick or treat. Where's the adventure? What danger is there in getting a handful of cookies from Mrs. Dunkel? You've never eaten Mrs. Dunkel's cookies. <laughs> have we had any callers yet? Oh, about a dozen of them. You should have seen little Julie Thornberry. She was all dressed up in one of Catherine's old dresses, and she had a stocking on her head. Really? Oh, I'm sorry I missed it. And little Georgie Dunkel. He had the cutest clown suit with skeleton sewed on it. We sure have some cute little kids in this neighborhood. I'll get it. Oh, wait a minute. Let me get it. I want to have some fun, too. Yes? Trick or treat. Wait a minute. Aren't you a little big to be playing trick or treat? Trick or treat. How old are you? Fifty-three. Who ever heard of a grown man playing trick-or-treat? Well, my little boy's over on the next block. I'm just helping him out. You don't even have a costume. What do you think I am, a child? <laughs> Come on, trick-or-treat. It's a little unusual. What happens if I don't give you a treat? Well, I sneak back later and ring your doorbell. So what? Then when you answer it, I punch you in the nose. <laughs> Come on, trick-or-treat. really funny. But here are some cookies. Only three? Well, they've got to go around. There are other children, too, you know. Okay. Oh, they're chocolates. My kid likes chocolate cookies. Thanks. Well, that's all right. The, uh, how old is your little boy? Twenty-five. One of the kids in the neighborhood, one of the older kids. 
Uh, say, would you do me a favor if you're not too busy? Yeah, what is it? Would you stop down at the store and get some candies or something? The rate we're going, we're going to run out of stuff. Okay, I'll... Hey, what are you doing? Just putting a couple of cookies in your pocket, in case you got stopped for trick-or-treat. Some of the boys get pretty rough. Oh, Harriet, please. You don't think I'm afraid of a bunch of kids? Well, suit yourself. Last Halloween, Joe Randolph bumped into the backfield of the high school football team and came home minus his trousers. <laughs> no kidding. I understand they have a, a pretty good team this year. Why don't you just take these four cookies, just in case? You better give me two more. The ends might be with them. <laughs> Don't tear my pants up. The cookies were in my pocket. They're very nice cookies. Wonderful cookies. What's this about cookies? Oh, it's you, Thorny. What a cook... What a corny trick, hiding behind the head. Oh, just keeping in the spirit of Halloween. You should see what I did to Duncan a little while ago. <laughs> did you scare him? What did you do? I sneaked up on his front porch, yeah. rang the doorbell, and ran like the dickens. He didn't know what to think. <laughs> then when he went in the house, I went around to the back and started rattling the back door. Oh, why was he scared? <laughs> what else did you do, Patty? Well, I waited a few minutes, and I tapped on the window and moaned like this. Ooh. <laughs> and I, I rattled the door again, yeah. and I moaned some more. Then I began pounding on the side of the house. Yeah. And then what? Then the police came. <laughs> that Dunkel just has no sense of humor. Did the police do anything to you? No, just told me to stop annoying people. They took my soap away, too. <laughs> You're just a big kid at heart, aren't you, Thorny? Well, it's all in fun, huh? What's Halloween nowadays? Nothing happens. My boy Will's out playing trick or treat. Uh, David and Ricky, too. Somehow Halloween sort of lost the old kick. Yeah, it sure isn't like it was when we were kids. You know, there was an old haunted house in our town, and every Halloween us kids used to go prowling through it. Really spooky. Sure, that's the real spirit of Halloween. Now, you take the old McAdams place up on Franklin Avenue. There's a perfect haunted house. There's some way to, to sneak in there. You mean you go in there at night? Oh, sure. Why not? Oh, no reason. I just never cared for the looks of the place myself. Those grotesque chimneys, staring windows... Sort of gives me the creeps. Honey, you're kidding. No, I'm not, Oz. There's something frightening about it. Especially at night. What an imagination. Well, I've got to get down to the drugstore. I promised Harriet I'd get some candy and stuff. Okay, Oz. See I'll you later. See, yeah. Say, uh, when you go by the McAdams place, don't let the ghosts get you. Oh, that's right. I, I go right by there, don't I? Yes, sir. <laughs> not afraid, I, Oz. <laughs> Thorny, cut it out. If you walk down the store with me, I'll buy you a soda. Hey, Mom, Pop, we went over to the McAdams place and we saw a ghost. A real ghost? A ghost, a real ugly one, with sharp teeth and a long nose and pointed ears and hair all over his face. And first we thought it was Pop. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about me. You trying to scare us. Oh, boys, don't be silly. You guys probably saw the moon shining through the window, and your imagination did the rest. Okay, go up and see for yourself. Yeah, why don't you, Pop? Yeah, why don't you, Pop? Well, I'd be glad to, except I promise to take your mother to the movies. Since when? <laughs> well, that is, I've been thinking about it all day. There's a wonderful triple Halloween show at the Bijou. The son of Frankenstein, Dracula's daughter... And a date with Judy. I wasn't 
counting on the movies, dear. In fact, I'd much rather you'd go up and give us a report on the ghost. Oh, it's so silly. Go ahead, Pop. Have some fun. Go ahead, oh. dear. Well, okay. If it makes you happy, I'll go up and visit the haunted house. I thought for a minute there you were getting scared, Pop. Oh, David. Oh, just remember this, boys. There's not a cowardly bone in your father's body. Of course, every now and then the meat around them gets a little jumpy. (laughs) (laughs) Meat around. (laughs) What am I laughing at? Beware, Ozzie Nelson will get you if you don't watch out. Yes, indeed, Ozzie Nelson, arch enemy of all ghosts, goblins, spirits, and similar supernatural phenomena, is on the march. Target for tonight. The ghost that walks in the old McAdams house. See the courageous Ozzie as he strides firmly across the porch of 1847 Rogers Road. Chin up. Flashlight swinging at his side. Down the steps, down the walk. And now he stops. Every muscle tense, eyes alert, nose twitching. A white, filmy object moves out of the darkness. Who's there? It's me, Mr. Nelson. Oh, oh hello, Emmy Lou. I came over to show you my Halloween costume. I'm going to a party. Where are you going, Mr. Nelson? Oh, I'm uh, on an errand for the boys. They went up to the old McAdams house tonight, and they think they saw a ghost. Really, Mr. Nelson? Yeah, I'm going up there, you know, to prove to them it was just their imagination. You're going in that spooky old house tonight, alone? Well, of course. Evidently, you haven't heard the story about the McAdams place. Well, I've heard some silly rumor it's supposed to be haunted or something. But it is, Mr. Nelson. I heard the whole story from the people who live next door. The story goes that years ago in Scotland, in the old Haggis Castle, the young and beautiful Lady Jane McAdams had a quarrel with her lover, Douglas McDingle McCampbell McTavish. <laughs> a Scotchman. Yes, yes much. Well, anyway, Lady Jane pushed her lover, Douglas McDingle McTavish. Campbell McTavish, down the stairs. Down, down, down he went. His head banging on each stone step. Thump, thump, crunch, crunch. His bagpipes mournfully playing, the Campbells are coming. <laughs> as he lay at the bottom of the staircase dying, Douglas McDingle McCampbell McTavish, or as they called him, Mac, as, as he lay at the bottom of the staircase, he took an oath. Oh, I'd swear a little myself. <laughs> he took an oath that he'd follow Lady Jane wherever she went. His spirit would always haunt her. Where did she go? She came here to the United States and built the old McCaffrey's place. And they say that on nights of a full moon, like tonight, the giant ghost of Lord McTavish returns. And while the eerie notes of bagpipes ring in the night air, he prowls the house in search of Lady Jane. It makes a good story, but nobody in his right mind would believe it. Well, you believe it, don't you, Mr. Nelson? Yes, but I'm not. I'm... Uh, uh, of course, it's a lot of nonsense. Okay, Mr. Nelson, but remember, if you go up there tonight and see the ghost and get a terrible fright and drop dead, don't come around saying I didn't warn you. Happy Halloween! Harriet. Harriet. Oh. Dear, you back so soon? Uh, no, I haven't gone yet. As a matter of fact, I've been thinking this over, and 
I don't think I'll go. The whole idea seems sort of childish. Well, what about the boys, dear? You promised them. I, I, I know, but, but I mean, after all, isn't it silly for a full-grown man? It, it's only a wild go, uh, uh, goose. Uh, it, it, that, that's all it is. Well, if you'd and, like, dear, I'll go with you. And the boys... What did you say? I said I'll go with you. There are times, Harriet, when a man likes to be alone. Oh. Well, all right, dear. Get your coat. This isn't one of those times. Don't get nervous now, dear. Just... Keep cool. Oh, I'm cool, all right. Matter of fact, I'm shivering a little. Just hold my hand good and tight. I can't. Mm-hmm. You're squeezing mine so hard the fingers are asleep. Sorry. Is that better? It's better. How do we get through this iron fence? There's a gate here someplace, I think. It'll probably be bolted and spoil all our fun. They usually have a huge lock on these things and then thick chains. Now, here we are. Oh. Lock? No. Well, push it open. Here, will you take the flashlight a second? Thanks. And, and, and the baseball bat, too. <laughs> Ooh. Doesn't this place look weird? Yes, it is pretty spooky in that. Shall I uh, sing something to keep your nerve up? If you want to, dear. It'll keep you from getting scared. Did you ever think as the hearse goes by Someday you are going to die There's a spook in the meadows. Dear, dear, it might frighten the ghost. Must be a haunted house. The door squeaks. I I don't know why you insisted on coming along, Harriet. I could just as easily have come by myself. Ozzy, something has hold of my coat. Yeah, that's me. Didn't you? No. Oh, it must have been the wind. Gee, this place sure looks creepy with the moon streaming through the windows. What was that? Now, just don't be frightened. I'm right beside you. Ozzy, there's something in this room. It's coming toward us. It's getting closer. Harriet, quick, my baseball bat. Hey, Oz, careful with that. Do it, Oz. Hello, Harriet, Oz. You old trickster. Oh, I just thought I'd have a little fun with all the talk that's been going around about this place. So you're the ghost David and Ricky saw. <laughs> I should have guessed by the description. You should have a bagpipe, though, Thorny. A bagpipe? Well, sure, haven't you heard? This place is supposed to be haunted by a Scotch ghost who plays the bagpipe. And each night he comes down the stairs playing some old... Well, you do have one, Thorny. Where is it? <laughs> oh, you sure play awful. Worse than you think. I don't play at all. <laughs> I hear a bagpipe. Listen, I can hear it plain as day. Ozzy, up there, the head of the stairs. The ghost. The ghost of Lord McTavish. Well, we've seen it. Let's 
Don't keep calm about this. We'll, we just need quiet. Oh, it's oh, it's getting late, Bernie. Let's get out of here. The door won't open. I keep turning my hand on it. Won't open. Stop it, Thorny. You've got hold of my nose. <laughs> this way, boys. Thorny, the door's over here. Follow me. I'll make one of my own. <laughs> There must be some scientific explanation. Did I seem very scared out there? No, not especially. I mean, did I act in any way that might give somebody the impression that this illusion we saw um, frightened me? No, you were very level-headed about it. Of course, it was the first time I've ever seen you jump a seven-foot fence. (laughs) I didn't think I could fool you. That thing, whatever it was, scared the... The daylight's out of me. I was plenty scared myself. I can't figure out those bagpipes. No, and then what about the ghost? Oh, oh, well, yes, of course, the ghost, too. Harriet, what are you stuffing behind the sofa pillow? Oh, nothing, dear, just some old papers and things. Wait a minute, let me see that. It's an only an old sheet. You'll get the couch dirty. It's got cobwebs. Cobwebs! How about a little more coffee? And there's Ricky's baseball bat, the one I... Harriet, if you'd like to make a little confession, I'll listen. But if you'd rather not, I'd rather you would. (laughs) All right, dear. Just the boys and I thought it'd be nice if you could have a little fun on Halloween. You told them how much you enjoyed going to some haunted house. So we thought that if we could sort of... Ozzy, listen. I'm listening. Go on. No, listen. The bagpipes. Yeah. I hear the bagpipes again. So do I. Hey, Pop, can we have a dime? Boys, listen, listen. Do you hear bagpipes playing? Sure, that's what we're on the dime for. He's out front now. Who's out front? Mr. Campbell, the man with the scotch plaid ice cream truck. The scotch plaid ice cream truck? Well, sure. Haven't you ever seen him? Can we have a dime, Pop? A dime? Here, here's 50 cents. Stuff yourselves. Thanks, Pop. Oh, boy. How about that? The, the, the bagpipes we heard at the McAdams place were from the Scotch plant ice cream truck. What a coincidence. <laughs> oh, remarkable. You see, the, the Scotch plant ice cream truck happened to, to stop there. See, there are no other houses around, and nobody lives there, but he happened to stop there. Played a different tune up there, too, didn't he? I don't remember. Harriet, believe me, it was only the scotch plaid ice cream truck. Yes, I know, dear. I'll say it just once more. The bagpipes we heard at the McAdams place were from the scotch plaid ice cream truck. Okay, dear, you've convinced me. I wish I could convince myself I'd like to get some sleep tonight. Let's go to sleep. Uh, in a few minutes, Harriet, I just want to finish this article. Debunking the spook. Debunking the spook? Yeah, the man who wrote it spent the night in a house that was supposed to be haunted. As I sat there in the darkness, I could hear the clock in the village striking twelve. Now 
was the witching hour. If ever the dead lived, now was the time they must rise from the grave. I stood up and dared the ghost to appear. I said, if you were a ghost, I dare you to strike me dead. <laughs> silly article. What happened next? Well, then, let's see. He goes on to... Yes? The article ends right there. <laughs> Dear, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. You know what might be fun? Let's sleep with the lights on tonight. Tune in next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Janet Waldo, Henry Blair, Tommy Bernard, and Jack Kirkwood. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This adventure of Ozzie and Harriet will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. The camels are coming. No, Lord McClavish. Ozzy. It's a ghost. Ozzy, wake up. What's all racket, Mom? Daddy's having a nightmare. Is that what he's doing? That noise really scared us. Well, it frightened me, too. Okay, now we're even. For the next adventure of Ozzy and Harriet, starring Ozzy Nelson and Harriet Higgins, this is Burns Smith speaking. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.